Hi, I'm Kosambi and a super hearty welcome to Shelf, the building blocks of commerce by Mason. Here we talk about the most exciting trends and technologies that are reshaping the world of e-commerce from apps to headless to composable to low code to no code. Well, the list is endless. Join in. This is episode two of The Shelf, and I'm super excited to do a virtual Riverside coffee call with Matthew. We're both in New York, but we're meeting online. I'm very, very excited to meet Matthew, Matthew McQueeny. He works in leadership at Konoboss. He focuses on relationships, marketing, and community, all three super close to my heart. Matthew has worked on delivering digital experience projects for teams ranging from Fortune 500 to startups across industries like healthcare, publishing technology, education, retail, you name it. And the interesting thing about Matthew is the very fact that he sits right in the middle of three super interesting you know, pillars that really change the way digital experiences are made. It's technology, marketing, and communications. And through his career, he's worked with many content management systems, CMSs, in editorial, social media strategy, advertising, SEO, and podcasts. And uh, Matthew also is the co-host of Conniverse Podcast, and that's why you see all the setup really set up well. And he's longtime host of Mix Minus Podcast. So welcome, Matthew. We are so excited to have you on shelf today. Thank you. I am extremely excited to be here, and we'll have to do an in-person one in a nice studio like this the next time we meet. Absolutely. And today's topic is super exciting. I know you are excited about it. You're enthusiastic about it. I'm super passionate about it. It's all about no-code tools, why they're here to stay and take front and center and uh, kind of take over the whole retail, digital, communication and uh, commerce space. Uh, But before we dive into all those serious conversations, just a little bit about yourself, Matthew. Introduce yourself to our audience. What do you do at Conobos and how do you help teams deliver the best digital experiences? No, thank you for that opportunity. I have been in this space, as they say. I couldn't believe when I did the math, I think about 18 years now. I didn't even think I was past 18 years old, but apparently I've been in this space that long. And a lot of my trajectory has been around starting with content management and blogging and especially in sports. And I had the opportunity to work for the NBA's New Jersey Nets at the time. Now they're the Brooklyn Nets, but the New Jersey Nets. And I ran the website at a time when you could do this with two 20-somethings, me and another gentleman running an entire web operations for an NBA team. So really learned a lot there. The good old days. The good old days where anybody could do anything. And you know what? Maybe there's a little bit of that that we should always get back to because I think when there's too much of a command and control over everything, it can almost become a little bit, you know, you kind of lose your breath from it, a little constricting. And so through that time, I've really just been able to move through, uh, worked in agencies and really with a lot of companies like Verizon, Allstate through the years, some of the bigger names. Um, But there's a lot of common threads between all of the kinds of projects, right? But in the last year and a half now, I've been at Konobos. And the real interesting thing as we start talking about no code, low code, no code, Konobos was built on experience and expertise in the Sitecore content management system, which let's all be honest, was as far from no code (laughs) as you could absolutely be. So now we're coming close to about 50 members on our team. And 
10 or 11 of our members are actually psych MVPs, multi-time psych MVPs. For those who like the NBA, I joke, we were kind of like the Golden State Warriors. We just keep bringing in MVPs. And so a lot of the basis for the company began with that. And a lot of Psychor projects would come to them, whether it was a what they call a lift and shift or or a rescue mission. You'll hear a lot of right. You need experts to come in and help write for enterprises who pay quite a bit of money for these systems. Help write what is what feels like an untenable situation, and you get stuck from the technology. And so they really built their expertise on that. And interestingly enough, as the industry itself has changed and evolved, this week is actually Sitecore's annual symposium. And what were a lot of their announcements? That they're going headless, that they're going composable, that they're going to be friends with other systems, you know, lower code, you know, maybe not full no code, but a lot of that is happening. And with that, me who has more of a marketing background, I always joke that at Konobos, the only thing I don't touch is code. So I really am a part of almost everything. And I think not having to touch code sometimes frees your mind to epiphanies and new ways of thinking because you don't you're not bound in some ways by we need engineers we always do right but it gives you a view on things that uh, you can get a lot done without having to program your way out of it i think that's one of the most interesting things with no code but as this industry has changed as platforms like sitecore have started to move in this direction konobos also began the look into, you know, it was Jamstack architecture, but Jamstack, headless, decoupled, all the big words, package business capabilities, right? They began that a couple of years ago and began looking at other solutions because the one thing I give them credit for, you always hear this thing that it's hard to disrupt yourself, right? There was a famous Harvard Business School professor, Clayton Christensen, about disruption, right? And it's hard to disrupt a model that works. And I give them credit because they could see the pain points for customers because you always have to follow the business, but they could feel the pain points for customers. And they went, you know what? This is what we've built our careers on, but we really should start looking at some of these other technologies. And they did that. And now we're kind of at this nice confluence point where both the psycho expertise and what the company's been doing in the past couple of years on, you know, on a separate track are coming together to a point where I, I always joke, they say the word propitious, which means it's like the right moment. And you can always make a moment seem the right moment, but it does feel very much the right moment for us. And lastly on that, for someone who is more of a marketer, a leader of teams, project manager, account manager, community partners, you get a chance to work with a lot of these different systems. And so you have a view into how low code, how no code can work into the mix. And a lot of that ends up being a translation for your own team who are used to long projects, big builds, you know, developers go into kind of a dark room and work for weeks on end on something. And that ends up being a hard thing, right? That ends up being a hard thing to, to disrupt. So there's a lot of communication at play in this to make everybody feel comfortable, not just the customers, not just the vendors, but your own team. That's a great segue into actually a question that's running through my mind as you're speaking about your experience, Matthew. What are some of these challenges that you've seen over the years and 20 years back, almost 20 years back to young folks just playing on code and, you know, getting websites up and running for big names and, and actually 
kind of getting away with it. And then over the years, moving towards larger teams, enterprises, you know, big names, bigger brands and systems and teams versus just a website, right? And as you've seen this change over the kind of teams you've worked with, the kind of companies you've worked with, what are some of these challenges that you've seen? And before we even dive into how no code's helping others, I think what I would love to hear from you, your experience is what are these challenges? How are you seeing it across marketing communication, across commerce and digital experiences? Well, I think the way that the challenge has evolved is about 20 years ago, web was another channel. The real world was almost as important as anything. And the web was kind of just, yeah, that's the place for this brochureware, as they would say, to live there. And so you would have very basic HTML websites. You would have, remember Flash? Flash was huge. Talk about a packaged, maybe not business capability, but everything was jammed into this Flash and nobody from the outside who didn't have access to, was like macro media or something, couldn't get in and change like basic content. So it really was a very static There was always the idea of, you know, this CEO's nephew can build websites too, you know, this 20-year-old kid. And so you're almost going as an agency at the time against that. So that was the alternative, right? So it was de-emphasized just because of the time, because nobody had smartphones, really. The whole experience was on desktop, maybe during the day, right? So you could build to that one experience and the real world was still massively important. Now, funny enough, we're now in a time where everyone talks static websites with you know, single page applications and and headless and decoupled front ends. And the real world is important again. So everything always comes back around again. But what you saw was that evolution. Then vendors for these platforms began to come into play and agencies would get aligned with certain vendors. This is where a lot of Sitecore's power really came from, was that you could really build an entire business around servicing, partnering with this one platform. And enterprises, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, Fortune 50, however deep you want to go, they often want to pay a good deal for these platforms because it's almost like an insurance policy they feel in their head. If we're paying big dollar, this thing's going to be fine. You know, there's a lot of regulatory things they might have to work through before it needs to be. Then the platform began to, they did really well on that. So you look at one system, And maybe it'll have analytics, maybe it'll have email, maybe it'll have personalization. But then what starts to happen is if you're an all-in-one, it's really hard to be great at all. You know, we never think of analytics as one of the first kind of, you know, maybe headless composable forays. But Google Analytics takes over and nobody's really going to be able to compete with them, right? It's impossible with with the resources that a Google has to throw at that. And how much that, it's some crazy statistic, how many sites have Google Analytics. And so what happens is then email marketing services, the MailChimps, the constant contacts was a big one. When they start to show that they're better at that than the all-in-one, now you're starting to pick off pieces of the all-in-one. And that creates more dissonance in the mind because you say, wait, we're paying for this all-in-one. I always joke it's like uh, cable, cable TV, that you bought that big package with the triple play, get all these channels. And you pay a ton of money. And then Netflix came and then people started to say, huh, maybe I can really get some savings, some flexibility, and I can show that monolith (laughs) who's boss and start to cut it. We don't need a phone anymore. We don't need the cable. We'll just buy the internet. And then, but now we see where we are, where everybody has a streaming service and you're back at it all again. But that's what happened in my mind is the decoupling because these other services stood out because marketing teams had a much easier time working with those 
systems? How easy is it to work with Google Analytics? And then if you're doing Google AdWords or you're doing you know paid search, even SEO, Google is SEO. So everything just aligns there. So now you're doing that and you're like, well, let's shut down the analytics in this all in one. Let's shut down the email in this all in one. And then you start saying, what am I left with? And what am I paying for? And then that's really where I see a lot of even enterprises now beginning to look towards we always like to say at Chronobos, you don't have to go from an all-in-one to all at once. That's the beauty of this composable marketplace is you can look at a roadmap truly now. We don't buy a system on day one and then the clock is ticking on the payment we're doing as our tech teams furiously try to add personalization, add all these promised things, and then it goes wrong. And then two years later, you're still not launched with something, right? This is great because roadmapping, which is the original product thing, right? And you can treat your businesses projects like a product. You can imagine your company is like a product and then put a roadmap out five years and say, okay, we have commerce. Let's look at how we could decouple the commerce from that all in one. We'll focus on a discovery on that for the next three months because that's a burning thing. Yes, CMS is something we'll look at, but we can say right now, let's look at that after. You look at a couple of commerce systems, the beauty with the composable partners, low code, no code, all the partners is the alignment with the customer is so great because customer success has sprouted up in such a big way because customers can vote with their wallet and leave and go to the next composable. And a lot of times there's these one click, hey, go from this system to this system. So you have to keep the customer extremely happy, aware of what you're bringing to the market, what updates mean that you don't have to, you don't have to make a separate project of upgrading the system. A lot of times it's like a one click. You know, there's not a lot of, I always like the saying, uh, configuration over customization. And so the roadmapping allows you to just focus and really laser focus on, all right, let's get, for instance, commerce up. And if you're working with a conglomerate brand, maybe they have 25 brands, you know, if it's manufacturing or whatever the case is, you go, let's start with that one brand that doesn't have a commerce presence. We can test it there. And then what happens is it actually over delivers and it's up and commerce is selling. And now you say, all right, we have a platform in place where we could start loading in others. And then what they always do, what the customer always says is, all right, so that was the easier brand. Let's start to look at the brands that are using the all-in-one features originally. We got to start looking at a, C- a CMS. And so then it's all education. Then you start looking at what are the best CMSs on the market? You know, as a partner who, what we say were agnostic architecture, I like to say composable compass, and we help you define what those systems are, what they look like, what is better. Uh, no one wants to walk into a car dealership for the cars every day, right? You're, then you have the sales teams, you have the, I got to go talk to my manager. We work with the teams to identify the best ones and we work with the, with the vendor. And then we show how you can slot that in with the commerce you did. And then we show how we're decoupling all of the major parts of your stack. And it's a process. And eventually, and I saw something yesterday where it was like, Digital transformation is always happening. There's not a there's not an end. True. Sometimes digital transformation might be in a small evolution, and that's enough. So that really, I don't know why I, I just like talking to stuff. I don't know where that one went, but <laughs> that was that's kind of how I feel. The that's where the pain points from customers have been. It can always feel if you want to be arrived, it's not going to happen. But as long as you lean into that, there's always going to be change that you're staying up to date with it. You know, it's like if you read the news every day, you're going to be staying up to date. Whereas if you just wait for big things to happen, you're going to be you're going to be shocked. And then you're going to just be like, what happened? But you got to really stay up to date with the trends because it's going to be best for you 
and your organization. You might find savings. You might find massive efficiencies. You might find a new way of doing things that changes your entire operating principles. And so that really is the is the key, I think, to the digital transformation piece. By the way, I love the whole landscape that you just kind of made me picture in my mind. And, and an analogy is popping up. It's almost like, you know, when you want to get healthy, it's an everyday thing. You make those little lifestyle choices. It's not about that 30 days of dieting and running. And then you're like, I'm set for the whole year or two years, right? That's not, that's not how it works. It's an everyday choice in what you eat, how you think, your whole approach to life. Uh, has to be, you know, tiny steps that you take, right? And it impacts long term. It's, you know, you get healthy. It's not just some, you know, few pounds that you're losing <laughs> for for a few months in the year. So, so that kind of an analogy is coming to my mind when you're talking about how composability today in the environment and the market that we are, where things change from 2019 till 2022, there's been so many shifts, forget commerce, like in everything, right? And every year is different. Every year, year consumers are reacting uh, is different. So that's the analogy that's coming to my mind. Would you say that's fair? Am I, am I kind of getting it? That is a great analogy. And that's one of the, we're coming up on pretty soon, somehow January 1st of 2023. And in the gym industry, you often see these folks who will sign up for gym memberships because they make their New Year's resolution. And gyms often bake in the knowledge that they're going to have such a big influx of signups. And they often don't make accommodations in the gym to accept that new influx at 100% because they know probably only 20 to 25% are going to maintain. And so you almost want to live the New Year's resolution constantly. You know, now that we have this, uh, when we're talking health, we have this quantified self, right? We don't wait to go to the doctor to find out if, if we're healthy, if our vitals are, you know, going day by day. There's certain things that can that can sneak in, right? But ultimately, we're on top of, I, I mean, just from my Apple Watch, I'm tracking my sleep, I'm tracking my workouts, I'm like seeing, oh my gosh, what a week. And then I'm annoyed when Apple, I had a hard workout and the next day Apple's like, come on, you're, you're behind yesterday. They have to fix that part because I have to rest too. But it's exactly right. That's what agility, you think of agile methodology, right? That's what agility is. That's what flexibility is. It's just being on a continuum where you improve constantly over time and incrementally. That's the other piece, right? We're not going to, when you think of that 30, 30 day challenge, yes, at the end of the 30 days, the person might look, look healthy, but I guarantee you they're going to want that pizza bad at the end of those 30 days. I like to live in such a way that I can have my, I can have the pizza once a week. Just do, you know, do things over the week that are ultimately healthy, that you're ultimately leaning towards healthy eating for the most part, but you're allowed to, I don't even like the word cheat. Like you're, you're allowed to splurge a little. So I, I think that the, the health analogy is perfect because the web is a living thing now, right? I mean, it's part of everything we do. It's a part of, it's an extension in our hand, in our phone, or on our wrist, or in our eyes, or in our ears. We are always connected. And so is that living organism that is the, the web and what is it, Web 3.0 now, and our fridges have connections. Like Everything is so connected that to treat it, when I go back to that crazy term, I said lift and shift. It sounds so intense. It almost sounds like plastic surgery, right? Like we're going to lift and shift. It's like, no, we're going to evolve and we're going to keep evolving. We're not going to arrive. The, when you talked about what was like, like in the past, you know, building big applications and websites, I don't know if you remember this, but you would have such a long process to build a site, sometimes four to six months. We had a project at Conewas that almost took a year 
that one team was working on something. But in the past, there would always be the, all right, where are we going to have our launch party? Well, we're all going to go out for drinks and celebrate. And I never, I actually, maybe I was composable back then. I never liked that because I was always like, I don't like, it's not over. <laughs> it launched, but there's still going to be, the, the customers are still going to be coming back in a day, next week. They're going to find things that training didn't catch or that's a bug. And so I never liked to, what is it, count the chickens before they, they hatch. But that's true. It's this evolution. It's not this New Year's resolution. Well, I like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that with me. And uh, <laughs> every time I reach out for the pizza, I'll remind myself. It's a continuous process. It's just composable. Exactly. It's composable. It's just pizzas are composable, you know? Split the pie, expand it. It's like negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's pretty interesting uh, way to look at it. And that's not true, right? Like, it's almost like one, of course, the analogy is fun, but it's thinking about your problems from a business perspective. It's thinking about each part of the problem as a Lego block. And then where you're saying that, hey, I can start working on this bit and fix that first. I don't have to like take that, you know, entire whatever I'm building with the Legos and change everything. I can fix one part of the house and then I can move on to the rest and, you know, continue testing and evolving. And as you doing that right one thing that keeps coming up is that even with composable without having developers and a lot of maintenance over time right like every time you need something to be changed yes composable helps because now you don't have to change everything you can change a part of it but it's still you know, not in the hands of a marketer or someone who owns a brand. We are not data scientists. We are not developers from any angle. We are not designers either most of the days. But there's so many elements of design, development, data that actually comes together for me to drive a really good shopping experience to my customer on the other side, right? And uh, even with composability, you know, that doesn't really go away. There's still that dependency. And uh, of course, no, the promise of no code and low code is that, hey, like, you know, a bunch of these you can do on your own. And do you see the ecosystem evolving? Do you see products and solutions out there who are starting to think with this mindset of how one composable is definitely business first, but to be true business first, I got to make it simple to use and easy to implement and literally zero maintenance almost, right? Like, do you see that change in the ecosystem? I really do. One of the roadmap plans we're doing with a large customer moving from the monolith legacy to this composable business and this low code, no code is the education or the re-education is very interesting. Giving them the, the confidence that this is not a six to eight month project and that's okay. No, it's hiding the wool over the eyes or whatever the saying is. We're not just saying it to get a sale. It literally goes that quickly, but there's a couple of things in that education that are critical. Again, configuration over customization. That lesson is enormous. These systems that are low code and no code literally come out of the box ready to go. And the beauty of it in commerce is that you can always say to the customer, the longer we wait on the procurement and the discussions of this, the less we're getting it to market and letting it sell. Like that's the beauty of commerce in this environment is that it's actually making the bottom line better <laughs> when it goes out, hopefully, right? And it's it reminded me when I started blogging, we went from a world where in order to appear in, in web print, if you call it that, you wrote something, maybe in Microsoft Word, and you sent it to someone, and then they decided if it went on to that prestigious platform or whatever it is. And blogging was almost like that first no-code thing 
where I remember getting the blogger.com and I had some, in those early days of web, you had to be almost a jack of all trades. I had to do HTML programming. I, so I knew a fair amount of that, but to just sign up with blogger, to have your own domain and for everything to be stripped away and there to be no problems except your ability to put ideas into a canvas, into that WYSIWYG, as we would call it. <laughs> I love that. That was unbelievable. And that's, I think, now, commerce always felt like such a difficult thing to get to online, e-commerce. There had to be these huge builds, the SKUs, the, it was very legacy, and they could control that. With no-code commerce, it's fascinating because if you have the goods, if you're ready to sell, you can use one of these platforms the way I could start blogging. You know, and I didn't become some New York Times writer, but my ability to put my ideas on blogger.com led to everything that came from me. It led to me working at the New Jersey Nets. It led to me writing online for big newspapers. Like that is amazing. And that can happen with no code. But it's the it's the continual lesson of coming from a world where customization was the norm, where you had to customize everything to get the experience you wanted. And by the way, that was the experience you wanted as the company. Was it the experience that the customer, the end customer of that you'll be selling to wanted? And so you would spend so much time in those sessions to then customize the solution, which then whatever platform you're on might do updates. And then the customizations you did have to be reconfigured or recustomized. So that is the lesson that it's okay. I wrote in CMS Wire recently, lean into the template, lean into the wealth of everything that are in these systems. Those teams building the system are doing the technological heavy lifting. Your job is to now strategize the top of it, configure your custom elements. Let's, you know, like if you have a front-end React template, it's okay to use an out-of-the-box front-end React template. If you don't want to, that's okay too, but we're going to, that's now going to be maybe a couple more weeks of work to get this and I think sometimes when there's not the idea you can customize, people want to customize. It's like psychology, right? So getting them to understand this front-end React template is beautifully set for all kinds of customers. You're going to put your logo, you're going to put your colors, you're going to have your hero images, and you're going to have your product display pages, you're going to have your product detail pages, there's going to be the buy functionality, and it's all there. Maybe the 2% that in your mind you think you want to customize, that'll end up being you know, we'll figure a way around it, but it's okay. And I think sometimes that's, that's a barrier for enterprise is because your enterprise, you almost want to have this king of industry, you know, we know what's best. We must have to customize where it, you know, we're enterprise, it, but you don't have to. And the quicker you lean into the template, the quicker you're, you're to market, the quickly you're seeing if it works, you're seeing if you get sales in and the minute you're getting sales in, what did a front end react template matter? <laughs> right? Absolutely. It's like, you know, too many cooks spoiling the broth or some, some very old saying like that. I mean, you know that the recipe or the kit that you're, the meal kit that you're getting for that awesome carrot soup and carrot ginger soup in winter works. Just let it be. <laughs> Maybe we don't need to really, you know, get super innovative around it. I love that. I, lo I love that concept. And I'm going to keep repeating that, like configure, not code, right? Like that, that's the one, right? It's about how do you get out to market super fast and actually test your hypothesis and test your thoughts and strategies and see whether they're really impacting in the end your business. And if it is, then you can continue to work on it and make more changes and continue down that path. But if the just the 
baseline isn't working, then maybe there's something else that you need to think about versus customizing that template, right? And I love that. Well, you know what the interesting thing that happened after, so the tough part with, with partnerships, and I like it, relationships, they take much longer to quote unquote close than, you know, your typical sales SDRs and BDRs you always hear. They, they want to close this quarter. They want to, if we're pitching that composability is try to force people into a deal for arbitrary quarters. So it's got to be an evolution. But the real interesting thing, when you lean into, it's like a, you know, when we talk about cooking, it's like a slow cooker, right? I've been loving my wife and I and two kids. We did Freshly for like three years and you got this amazing different dish constantly, but then we still reached a point where we had our fill. We convinced ourselves out of it. The price started going up, which is not their fault. It's all, you know, inflation and supply chain, another e-commerce thing. But then she was like, you know what? Let's, let's slow cook. And I'll tell you, sitting at home all day with these slow cookers going, it's amazing. But in a lot of ways, the slow cooker is what happens with trying to pitch this to enterprise. You have to allow the slow cook, can't turn it to high and hope it's going to be done in two hours. You got to let it go. And what happens is as your customer, your partner begins to get acquainted with this new world, they start strategizing. They've been so in the weeds handling systems that they lost the ability to strategize. When you have to handle a system, customize a system, you're not able to be innovative because all you're thinking about is any idea I come up with is just going to be more customization. So just as an example, with these Let's talk about certain low-code, no-code, like a commerce system. A lot of times you'll get like a SaaS-based monthly payment that you get for it. And you could have maybe 10 instances of that. So for a conglomerate, that's amazing because if they start to onboard many brands, if they're in any industry, but a lot of the brands they have are going to be somehow adjacent, right? So if they start to onboard brands to a new system. You've now set up the product information management system where all of the product data, the sorts of truth for the product data, you've created the connections for a PIM to hydrate a uh, low-code, no-code solution. Once you've done that, any new brands that come on is going to be a pretty standard templated work at a fraction of the cost of the first one. But let's say you have five in the system now. If they don't have the sixth brand ready to go, they could spin up an instance, create a new name for the instance, and hydrate multiple products from the different brands into a new channel site that they call, I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever the high level silo name they want to call for those products and actually sell multiple brand products into that one new instance that was available to them. So that's the thing that's amazing. When you lean into the template, when you lean into what this is, you can start to strategize. And that's a big point. The technologists who were the gatekeepers not in a negative way. They had to handle a lot of on-prem infrastructure, requests coming in from the marketing team trying to stand up trial things and potentially being in trouble with security risk and all that stuff. They were so in the weeds, they could not innovate. And they almost get to the point where, well, maybe I can't really innovate. What is innovation? But you give them a platform where the work is done by a product company that wants to keep your business, keep you happy, customer success, they can now strategize and they will, they say, whoa, this is something new. And now they're on to the next thing. And maybe they'll do the same with a, with a headless, low-code, no-code CMS, right? That is the neat thing to me, the innovations of connection. Yeah. And that leads me to a question. Uh, just a couple of days back, I was speaking to someone who comes from a more monolith 
magento first world and you know very fair point what she said was that hey it's it's your decision end of the day but a lot of times some businesses maybe do not need to go composable uh, right now right how do you decide whether this is the right time for me to think no code or think composable or think about you know changing literally the stack that i'm operating on etc and her take on on that was that of course like it's it, it's not for everybody you can get a lot more done by just you know adopting simpler monolith solutions etc cetera, etc cetera. what are your thoughts around that like monolith versus composable and then i think a double click on that would be how do you decide like what is there a checklist like a magic checklist <laughs> on here tick 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 i know uh, that i should go composable or or is that an evolution as you said like a uh, more around health it's something everybody got to do considering the way the world is today yeah there's a lot of really good questions in fronts there at Konobos, what we try to do is continually put out content that educates on what monolith versus composable is. We get into articles that are the a small subsection of it and really deep dive on it. We do webinars with leaders in the different spheres because it is a constant conversation, much like, well, we can compare it to health. Even within health, there's a lot of ways to go about being healthy. I might like to lift weights moderately heavy, and then do cardio. Someone else might like to walk for an hour a day. Someone else might like to do yoga. It's all about flexibility and suiting exactly what your needs are, but always aligning with business goals and always moving forward. So for me, the checklist starts with, are you impeded from moving forward? Is the pain of the system so much so that you need to do some kind of crazy, that you need to power lift <laughs> or you need to, you know, Go run a marathon and train for that. That is a key. Also, understanding that the all-in-one is not an all-at-once thing. We can pilot some low-code, no-code composable elements and ideas with a brand, with a microsite. There are a lot of these uh, composable brands are happy to do trials. And there's many price points too. And you can get into the market that way. But to me, it really starts with, with the pain points. What is the customer experiencing? Are they, uh, we see this being Psychor specialists. A lot of those who come to us, again, are for rescue missions or they come to us because they're like, this just, this is not working. The customer service at the vendor is not great because it's a heavy sales org and we're stuck. Can you help us? We then help and you come to find out it's some gray area issue that's unclear <laughs> what the fix is because was it because of a customization made? Was it because of the root of the system? Was it because we didn't upgrade? And all of that confusion and dissonance creates a need to not feel stuck. You're stuck. So I think if the solution you have is serving your needs, if lifting half, running half is perfectly fine for you, you know, maybe you have a little excursion to some, you know, maybe you take a month off in the form of tricomposable for a month or something on one brand. But that to me is the key. And the other piece is this is this headless idea. I always joke. Headless is almost like gluten-free where, sure, there were people who had gluten intolerances, right? We're back to health and they really needed to be helped. But then it became a whole thing. And I always joke, does, does Fruit Loops really need to say it's gluten-free? You know what I mean? So <laughs> I think a lot of the industry, a lot of the industry players, I actually, the one thing I didn't note is I'm a partner in a direct-to-consumer sports jersey pillow company called Big League Pillows. And that's on Shopify. And for me, Shopify is fine. Someone developed it. 
you learn how to manage it. It's a good solution. But even Shopify, all of these competitors in this space are still seeing the market talking so much about this composable headless that they're coming out with headless offerings. Or maybe they're trying to tell you Fruit Loops are gluten-free anyway, right? So that to me is the key. Are you in pain? Are you lifting so much and your neck is killing you, but you still keep going to the gym every day? Are you overtrained? Are you bloated? (laughs) And how are we going to fix that? And whatever the fix is, it's a solution. I've been asking a lot of, in our podcasts and video series, I've been asking a lot of like CEOs of vendor companies, for instance, or heads of entire departments who sell. I say, can't you just sell your solution? Do you have to lead with the fact that you're headless, that the fact that you're composable, that you're low code, no code? Is that us talking or is that the customer needing that? Or do you just lean into, start with like in any almost negotiation, start with less info, find out what the customer's pain is, figure out from that point what they need to know about the system, why the system can answer their pain. Let's try it out you know, like a 30 day personal trainer, you know, try it out at a discount or something. Let's try it out. Let's see what it does, but we can rapidly launch and iterate and check, right? So at the end of those 30 days, we can see is the waist down an inch. Are we making, are we making great progress in our VO2 max or, you know what I mean? There's a lot of metrics now when you talked about data scientists where you can just you can lean into that. Let's try it. Let's try it. For us as agnostic architects, we're in a little bit of an easier position for that because we can almost be, when I joked before about going into, let's say you want to buy a car, you'll look at consumer reports, you'll say, all right, I want a midsize sedan. What are the top four midsize sedans and consumer reports? And those might be constituted by three or four car brands. And so you say, all right, So consumer reports in an agnostic way told me what the best are. Now I have to walk into each of those showrooms. All I want to do is test drive that midsize sedan that consumer reports said is good. But the person on the other end just wants to get me into one of their cars and meet their quota by the end of the month. Talk to their manager. I just want a ride. And I'm going to have to do that. Now I'm in their system. They're following up with me. Then Then I have to go over to the other car company. And then when you're there, they're like, are you sure you want a mid-size sedan? Because we have this, and they're in their mind thinking of the quota of, I don't know, the full-size sedans not selling. Hey, we can put you in the full. It's actually not in your best interest. It's a full confrontational negotiation. We try to think of ourselves as the ones who connect with the vendors. And I'm not saying the vendors are like car salesmen. I'm not saying car salesmen is a bad job. It's just the, the reality sometimes of the situation. I have a Tesla. I didn't have to do that. I bought it on my phone, right? That was cool, but I didn't have to negotiate. I didn't have to talk to anyone. I just showed up and it was there and someone talked to me <laughs> through the through a, my phone or something. It was really interesting, but we try to be that. We try to be the go-between who constantly interfaces with the top vendor partners, constantly stays up to date on what are the new updates, what's best. And we try to be almost our own consumer reports slash advocate. And I was talking to one friend in the industry who said it's almost like an auto broker. And so auto brokers do this and maybe they get a cut. For us, our you know cut, if you will, is maintaining the partnership with our customer. We will get a modest fee potentially for seeing through that build. And we will help lead you to the best midsize sedan <laughs> for your needs. You won't have to feel that you're in the way of being 
sold to, and we'll let you test drive on our own. And then we'll talk with them and maybe we can get a partner rate. Maybe we can keep. So that's kind of where we see ourselves. I think from an actual, the vendor point of view, it's tougher because you are your own solution, right? So you, you ultimately want your solution to be used, but I believe leaning into the customer, leaning into education and like really leaning into what the roadmap is, where the industry is going, your price point, that's just going to be the best, the best way to, to go forward. You almost have the mentality where a customer in the door that you might be willing to say, we might not be the best solution for you. Sometimes that works, by the way, because <laughs> sometimes they're like, oh, no, no, I want your, I want your solution. Right. So that's kind of the crux of that. But they're ready. They're ready to try the low code, no code. And there's a big marketplace for it. It's just the right positioning. And there always is a place. The final thing I would say, there always still is a place for what we would consider the monolith. I was talking to a gentleman who went from one headless vendor to another, not as headless vendor, but they're going to have a headless uh, offering. And I said, boy, that sticks out on prem. Why is it on-prem? And he said, there's still a ton of industries and companies that have to have on-prem for security, thinking banks, insurance. So there's always a use case for that. But I think if those monolithic legacy systems still try to be better by offering some kind of maybe headless solution, bring concepts from that world into theirs, but maintaining the on-prem because, you know, there's still, I've heard there's still people who have AOL accounts, right? So maturity can be a long time coming (laughs) and uh, to wrap up i mean i just wish we could continue the conversation for another 40 50 minutes but it to make sure that we don't keep you way more than the promised time we're still superseding it but just before we wrap up matthew an amazing conversation especially all the analogies maybe i overdid the health one but <laughs> but it's it's been fun it's been so- no i like it you're gonna have to come on ours you'll have to come on our podcast we should definitely do that uh, but before we wrap up i think just a very quick note and i ask that to everyone what are some of the trends I think very fundamental shifts kind of touched upon that, but just summarizing that, what is that one or two fundamental shifts that you're seeing and how do you see that impacting the way people take decisions, the way consumers like us buy and interact with businesses in, in the next decade or so? I really think it's the it's the idea of that composability and digital transformation is not an end. It's going to always be a journey and that's okay. And that along that path, there might be a year where your transformation is very small. You know, we're in our exercise analogy. Maybe you added five pounds to your bench press or something. (laughs) Um, That's okay, because as long as you're staying vigilant to what you need from platforms, how platforms and how people are serving your business goals, and that you are always aligning, you're always aligning everything to the business goals, and to what the customer the customer is looking for you're going to be you're going to be best off don't get wedded necessarily to any particular system because if consumer technology has taught us anything people even who stay in the apple ecosystem are getting a new iphone every year cord, as i talked about cord cutting we got away from this monolith if you will of the triple play cable tv phone but we're kind of in a new tyranny where we're subscribing desubscribing so like there's a lot of bandwidth used on just staying ahead of the game with what 
solution for my TV am I going to watch? What am I like? We're very, we're tinderized a little bit. We're swiping left. We're swiping right on, on all these things. So I think you always have to keep, what is the North star of our goals? What do I need to do? What do I need to do at this stage of my development as a person, as a business, as an individual in a business servicing or serving the needs of what your department are? What can I do? How can I be entrepreneurial, intrapreneurial, stay on top of the trends, be looking for something that's better, even looking for something just to make sure what you have is still the best for you. And if it is, it's okay. Stick with it. And on that note, that's a wrap for today. Thank you, audience, for hanging out with us. And we'll hopefully bring Matthew back on soon and continue the conversation into composability and no code. Thank you so much. And that's it. That was awesome. And thank you, folks, for listening in. If you enjoyed the chat, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast right here. And of course, do hop on to Mason at www.getmason.io. That's www.getmason.io. We got more Ace in the Hole insights, conversion tips, and just everything that you need to scale your e-commerce brand. Catch you next time.